We're going to be looking this morning at overcoming the world. We touched upon it last week, or I should say last time we uh, were in 1 John. The topic for today's sermon is kind of multifaceted, and it's going to be spiritual warfare, assurance, and Christology. And it's all going to be packed into one verse. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 today. And before we start, let us ask our Sovereign Lord one more time to help us, because we need it. Father, help us now as we consider what you have written through your Apostle John. Comfort us this morning, Lord. Encourage us, strengthen us, warn us. Help us, all through your Spirit, all for the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if there was a thesis for today's sermon, it would be something like this. Knowing and confessing the true Jesus guarantees victory now, in the future, and forevermore. There's an exclamation point after that. We're going to have just two points for today's outline. Simply put, it's power and it's person. The first heading, it's power. The power of saving faith is not something that the believer is to wait for, but something that is on display and active now. And point two, it's person. The power of saving faith flows from our communion with the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we're going to be looking at this verse 5 in two sections, 5a and 5b. So now that you have your Bibles open, your finger on verse 5, read with me. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Well, the weather is getting a little bit cooler here in Santa Clarita. I think last Lord's Day, it was under 100 degrees. The week before that, it was a little over 100 degrees. And the week before that, it was even hotter. And so now in the cooler mornings, my way to work before the sun comes up, typically, I find myself thinking about wearing a jacket where I didn't need one before. And so it is that others around us are doing the same thing. I have a co-worker who has a sweatshirt that he wears now in the morning and his sweatshirt has the simple actually has a picture of a mountain on it and the simple saying that says faith can move mountains i remind us now of the source of that saying from the gospels where jesus speaking to his disciples about having faith said for truly i tell you if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith was a topic that we discussed last time when we were looking at 1 John together. We heard the apostle teach us in the verse that precedes the one we're looking at today in verse 4, this. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Yes, faith is clearly powerful. But what is it? 
The author of the book of Hebrews helps us to answer that question when he wrote, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. And this idea of them gaining approval is this is how the men of old, Old Testament, were saved. This is how they were justified. There wasn't a different way of salvation in the Old Testament than there is today. They were saved by grace alone through faith alone. So today we're going to learn more about this faith. What it is, what it accomplishes, and the one to whom it points. Providing for us not only victory in this world, but much needed rest in this world and in the world to come. So with that as an introduction, let's take a look at this verse beginning in the beginning of uh, verse 5, 5a. Who is the one who overcomes the world? This is the heading, it's power. The power of saving faith is not something that we believe, that the believer is to wait for, but rather something that is active and on display now. So here in this verse, the beginning, 5a, again the Apostle John is asking a question that is linked to the context of the preceding verse. Remember, verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, it is the one born of God who overcomes the world. John says it in verse 4. It is the one who is born again. It's the one born from above. It's the one who has had their sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. That's all in verse 4. So why is John asking this question now in verse 5? Who is the one who overcomes the world? Because I believe what John is doing here is building a theological argument. And we talked about this last time when we looked at verse 4. He previously said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We covered that last time. We spent some considerable time talking about the office of Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, and how that in many ways it pointed to the humanity of Jesus in addition to his office. And if that is true, then the motivation for John's seemingly axiomatic question here begins to take shape. He has something more to include about the confession that overcomes the world. It's not just confessing that Jesus is the Christ. More on that in the last part of this verse, 5b. But because John's design here in the first part is to remind us that there is someone who overcomes the world, and we already know it includes those who are born again, born of God, and so I want to look at the nature of this victory and overcoming the world a little closer and make a, few brief, make a brief illustration followed by what I hope to be some very practical applications for us this morning. So here's the illustration, and it has to do with the power. Recall the first point is entitled, It's Power. 
and I included the observation that the power of saving faith is not something that the believer is to wait for, but something that is on display and active now. You may recall theologians talking about being saved. And they say something like this. Say, I am saved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're born again. I am saved. I'm being saved. And I will be saved. There's this reality to salvation that goes beyond just one moment in time. And I, I think that as we start looking at the overcoming of the world here, we're going to make those connections with that as well. Because in this verse, John asks the question, who is the one who overcomes the world? And the word John chose to convey that thought of overcoming is known as a present active participle, which simply means that this action is present tense, and it's ongoing. So when John is writing in the first century to the believers who heard his voice, and then those believers who would read this epistle, it was for them a reality then. And not just at some distant point in the future. The one born of God is overcoming the world from the moment God breathes spiritual life into them. And furthermore, it carries on through your life and carries on through death. This idea of the one who overcomes actually functions somewhat like a noun. You're the overcoming one. John's going to use this linguistic motif again in 5b. We'll see that there. But what I want you to to just understand before we move forward is this idea of this present tense overcoming. It's not something that you're waiting for. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been born from above, if you've been born of God, you're not only a child of God, but you already have overcome. You are an overcomer. John has said similar things in this epistle. We've noticed he's been repeating these themes and we're at the close of this epistle. So now we have a distilled um, idea of this here in verse 5. John Gill comments and says it this way, This question, who is the one who overcomes, carries in it a strong affirmation that no other person is the conqueror of the world. Who is the one who conquers the world? Who is the one who overcomes the world? It is only believers in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are the unlikely beneficiaries of an eternal weight of glory in this world. And here's the thing that we know from experience. Those who are of the world do not see it. They do not see it. Rather, to them, the one who overcomes the world is the one who has a big bank account, lots of friends, success, however you want to measure it or happiness, personal fulfillment. Truly, that's the one who overcomes the world in the world's eyes. The one who beats the world, 
the one who figures out a way to, well, devise plans to be more successful, however they estimate that. But no, this verse here is saying that the ones who overcome the world are those who are born of God. Those are the overcomers. You, brothers and sisters, are an overcomer. And it's now. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, Now we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassingly great power is from God and not from us. Why is that important? Because you might look at yourself and say, I don't, I'm not an overcomer. I don't, look, I, I don't feel like an overcomer. There may be even sadly brothers and sisters around us who say, yeah, you don't look like one either. But it's not by our estimation. It's because we have been given this great power, this gospel, this confession that we hold. That's a great treasure, and it's kept in a jar of clay. That the Lord would keep his gospel in vessels like us is amazing. But I want to just drill down a little bit deeper into this idea of overcoming. And I want you to see this illustration in the book of Acts. Can, if you're able, please turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We recently had this providentially read in our New Testament readings in the morning. We're going to start reading in Acts 7, verse 54, but to give you some of the context that precedes it, um, the new church, the early church, is going out into the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey that all that Jesus has commanded and putting the church into an orderly fashion, they chose seven. They chose seven men. We know this often to be deacons. Now, on a side note, uh, I am pleased to say that we're going to be talking to men in our congregation about this office of diaconate. And uh, what I'm going to read here from Acts uh, 7 certainly is not to scare these men, but it is to uh, show us Something about Stephen, because Stephen was one of the seven. He was chosen as a deacon. And it was very shortly after Stephen was chosen that he found himself in a confrontation. He found himself before those who hated the true Christ, although they said they believed in Messiah. And Stephen, as you remember in chapter 7, goes on to give this eloquent defense of the Christian faith in light of the Old Testament. And it's quite lengthy. And you would expect that as he finished this, this recap of the Old Testament and Jesus of Nazareth being the fulfillment of all the prophecies therein, that those who were angry with him, would repent. But read with me in verse 54. Now when they heard this, those against Stephen, they were cut to the quick 
And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, that is Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. We know that to mean he died. So here's the question. When did Stephen overcome? When did Stephen overcome? It's easy for us to think, well, he overcame the moment he fell asleep. The moment those, he ceased to feel those jagged stones hitting him. Or maybe he overcame the moment he had the courage and the faith to make that eloquent defense. That's when he overcame, when he finally said, you know what, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it to give a defense of Jesus Christ. Maybe it was when he became a deacon and he was ordained in the church. That was when he overcame. Again, as I want you to see, Yes, there's an overcoming in all of these things. But Stephen overcame when the Lord brought him to spiritual life. The moment he was born again, Stephen became an overcomer. He became a victorious follower of Jesus Christ. Because he had a confession of Jesus Christ. And it's through and in Jesus Christ that Stephen became an overcomer. I saw one theologian post recently on Facebook, the tip of the spear in spiritual warfare is Jesus Christ crucified. All of the spiritual warfare that we go through, all of the attacks...
stunning synopsis of the children of God who had overcome the world in their day. Listen, through faith in the same Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as we do. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you growing weary? Are you losing heart? Have you forgotten if you're in Christ that you already are an overcomer? Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And if he has endured that kind of sin, what kind of sin can we endure? All for his glory. All for our good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you have shown us who we are in Christ. You have shown us not only the power of faith this morning, but the person who faith is centered on. Your son. He has told us not to fear the world, for he has already overcome the world. Lord, remind us of our standing in him this day, tomorrow, this week to come, this month to come the years to come, the rest of our life, and for eternity. Remind us, Father, that it is only because of his works that we have overcome. And Father, please have mercy on those who think they can overcome apart from him. It is foolishness, eternal foolishness. Oh Lord, you are so good and kind for sending your Son from heaven to be the propitiation for our sins. Thank you for blessing us with this epistle this morning. Thank you for the Spirit which intercedes even for my feeble voice. You are a great God and worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we offer this prayer.